Open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, if you would, please, and that's, uh, it's good to be back tonight. I certainly cannot take the place of your pastor, but, uh, but I'm honored to be able to come and uh, to be able to at least fill the pulpit uh, for tonight. Acts chapter 1. This morning we talked about, uh, about the, uh, the fact that we need to face the new year and every year, but it's a good time to talk about it, think about it this year, as, as it is the beginning of the year, that we need to face life uh, on a positive, with a positive attitude, with a, uh, an attitude of faith and confidence in God. And we have every biblical reason to do so. It's not something we just, you know, think we're going to kind of gin this thing up in our own mind, our own thoughts. We have every biblical reason to believe that God is in control and we can trust Him. And so today, I wanna, tonight, I want to just kind of go along a little bit with that same thought and talk to you about the power that we, we have that's available for us for facing uh, every, not only this year, but every year, whatever time we have left. You know, um, you've got a certain amount of time, don't you? And uh, most of you have more of it left than I do. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> we don't know for sure. But if you, if you were to think about, um, uh, if you were to think about your life, for example, on that, in that wall is, the, is your birth time. That's when you were born. And then this, is the, this, this line going to this wall is when you die, when you go to be with the Lord. And so this, this is your portion of life along here. So where would you be on that, on that, on that schedule, see, on that, uh, on that line? Some of you are, 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 you know, you're over here. The kids that we heard just a few moments ago, they're over there by the, that first chair, you know. And uh, some of us are over here somewhere and some of are going along personally. Uh, I think I'm right over there by the wall, just about leaning on the wall, but not quite touching it. Uh, I'm getting close to where that is. I'm 72 years old, and I want to tell you that so you don't think I'm 82 years old. And, uh, but uh, uh, that's why I bring my daughter with me everywhere I go and pretend that she's my wife, because I want people to think that, you know, just not realize how old I am. But uh, she's not my daughter. She's my wife. She just looks like my daughter. And so um, uh, we, I married her when she was very young. I think she was three, four years old, something like that. And uh, actually, I was 22, and she was 20 when we got married. Right, babe? And, and 19? No, 19 we got married. You were 19, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, you gotta, if you want to get a good one, you've got to catch her early <coughs> before she's got some, you know, before her brain is completely <laughs> Never mind. Let's move on. Let's move on to the Bible. I'm, I'm going off on, on places I shouldn't be. Her brain, once her brain's completely formed, then she has the wisdom and understanding to realize, I'm not marrying this guy. <laughs> no way, Jose. This guy's not for me. But thank God my wife did. Uh, this, is, this is not a joke. She had very poor eyesight. She really did. And, uh, I mean, she, you know, at night, she wanted to look at the clock. Here's the, here's, here's the clock, you know. She's trying to see where it is, and uh, her, eyes was, her eyesight was very, very poor. Hallelujah. <laughs> that was a help. That was a help. You got to take everything you can, man, and uh, that helped me, and <clears throat> this is not a joke. Years went by, and she wanted to get LASIK surgery because she always wore, uh, wore uh, contacts, and so she wanted to get LASIK surgery, and by this time, I was pastoring in Southern California, We've been in the ministry for, I'm going to say, 20, 25 years already, honey, whenever she got her LASIK surgery. And I was really nervous about it because uh, I knew how bad her eyesight was. And I kept telling her, she said, I'd like to get this. I said, sweetheart, you know, I don't know, babe. They're going to, you know, what, what if something happens and, and, and it goes wrong and you end up blind? You know, or what if something, this, this, is you know, all, these, all these things. And oh, just, uh, the thousands of people have, have gotten it already, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, finally I said, okay. Let's do it. And the night before, she was to go get her LASIK the next morning. We were sitting there at the dinner table, and I grabbed a napkin. And I wrote on the napkin, I promise that when I can see my husband, I will not leave him. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna, all I'm going to ask is that you date it and sign it. So I've got evidence and proof that you have to stay with me. And she did, and she stayed, and hallelujah, thank God that she did. I will forever be grateful for my sweet wife, 51 years coming up. If we make it to January 29th, I think we will. Uh, that will be 51 years of marriage. And uh, 51 years. God's been good, sweetheart. God's been good. As we're going along this, <clears throat> this time of life, 
So you've got a certain amount of time. You don't know how much it is. But uh, whatever it is, uh, as we go through our life on earth, God has given us the ability and the power for us to be able to, to uh, have the strength that we need to go through this life. If you look at Acts chapter 1, we're going to start off by reading two verses, <clears throat> verse 4 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, <clears throat> but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. Now drop down, if you please, to verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you shall receive power. <clears throat> After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, <clears throat> we're beginning this new year. We're going into this year. We don't know how much time we have left on earth. But what we do know is that God does not intend for us to face it alone. God has given us the power, provided for us the power that we need to live the Christian life. Uh, not in our power, but in his, his power. Not our strength, but our strength. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. So it's not I that lives, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul said, I'm living, but it's not me. Um, I'm crucified with Christ. So now it's Christ living through me. So I want to talk to you about this morning, this evening a little bit about, about the, this power that we have of Christ living through us. Now after giving the Great Commission, the Bible says here in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus had given them the Great Commission. You remember Matthew 28, they were to go into all the, all the world and uh, preach the gospel, uh, go to all nations and, and to, to, to preach the gospel, get people saved, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So they were to go, but not immediately. He tells them on the Mount of Olives, just before he ascends back into heaven, he gives them the great commission, last thing he gave. Then he said this, but not yet. <clears throat> this is your commission to go into all the world. Take the gospel everywhere. But first, go to Jerusalem and wait, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endowed, endowed with power, endued with power from on high. So <clears throat> the Bible records how they go to Jerusalem. They go into this 10-day prayer meeting. And they're waiting for what God's, what, whatever God, it is that God's going to give them, that He's promised them to give them this power. After 10 days of waiting, some amazing things happen. Look, if we please, at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, there's about 120 people in this upper room. And it's not just the, the apostles who are filled with the Holy Ghost. It's all of them. I think it's only the apostles who are preaching in a few minutes that when, when they give out the, the word and 3,000 people are saved and, and baptized in that one day. But all of them, all, all of the church members, these 120 that were in this upper room, were filled with the Holy Ghost. or <clears throat> They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues. Of course, we know that this is a, uh, they are speaking in, in their own language and yet the people are hearing it. They're speaking in their language. Or else they're speaking in the language of the people. I'm not sure which one it was. I tend to think that they're speaking in their own language that they knew. And the other people are hearing it in their own tongue. As you go on down through the chapter, it talks about how the, we, the, 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 we all, they were amazed that they heard them speaking in our own language. And then it names ten different languages. So these are not uh, jibber-jabber languages. These are languages that are actually known languages that people know. So, but whatever it is, whether they're speaking in those unknown languages, unknown to them, or if they're speaking in their own language and the people are hearing it in theirs, it's a miracle, whatever it is. So, um, so but, 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 but I want to talk to you, though, about, about, uh, about the power that came upon them of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you three, three quick thoughts about it. Number one, um, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are used interchangeably uh, in the Bible. Whenever the Bible is talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. They're used interchangeably in the, in the Word of God. The term Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, then, um, are referring to one person. Who is this Holy Spirit? There are many misconceptions about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Some people think that the Holy Spirit is like a, a power, like, a, like Star Wars or something, you know. Where, uh, where you've got this, uh, this spooky power that you can lay upon people and cause them to do things that nobody understands why they're doing it. But that's not it. What does the Bible say? The Bible says something about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, there's only one God. 
But that one God has chosen to manifest himself in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's one God manifested in these three personages. There's not three gods, but three persons who make up the one Godhead. One Father plus one Son plus one Holy Ghost equals one God. The fact that the Holy Spirit is God is clearly seen throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. We see the Holy Spirit is God. But let me give you just one verse tonight. Look at Acts chapter 5, if you would, please. And I'm going to show you where I believe is probably one of the most clear uh, passages where the Bible says very clearly that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Ghost is God. He is God. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? And uh, they were members of the church there in Jerusalem, the early church. They sold some property. They brought, the, brought some money. And uh, they gave the money that they'd sold from the property as a donation to the church. And they lied about the amount of money that they had sold the property for. Now, the, and, and God ends up uh, killing them both. Now, they, didn't get, they, didn't, they weren't in trouble. They weren't killed by God because they didn't give enough money. That wasn't the issue. Uh, they didn't have to give anything. The money was theirs. That was not the problem. The problem was that they lied about it. If you go to Acts chapter 5 and you read this story, you see it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And, uh, well, it's a short. Let's go back up to verse 1 and look at it together. Certain men named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession. They kept back part of the price. There's nothing wrong with that. The issue was not that. The reason I'm I'm hammering on this tonight is because, or not hammering on, but I'm, I'm repeating it is because I can't get out of my mind years ago when I was pastoring in California, my early, early ministry, we had an evangelist who came through and he preached from this passage. And he preached that Ananias and Sapphira, that God killed them because they did not tithe. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to fix this mess when this guy's gone? I mean, man, he was just hammering on it. God's going to kill you if you don't tithe. It was, it was rough. It was tough. This guy was from the South, and our people were from the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, we just, they, we just weren't Southerners. I might have been, but they weren't, that's for sure. And uh, here's what he said in that message. He said, <clears throat> he said, if you don't tithe, I'm doing just like he did. If you don't tithe, he said, tonight when you leave this service, he's looking at us like this. He said, tonight when you leave this service, he said, I wouldn't want to be a riding in the car in front of you. He said, I wouldn't want to be riding in a car behind you. And I dead sure wouldn't want to be sitting in a car next to you when God may decide to kill you tonight. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness. Lord, I started the church, and they're going to vote me out of the church. <laughs> and it wasn't even me that did it. <laughs> Preaching this heresy. God's got, the problem was not that they, that they kept back part of the money. We'll see that in just a moment. Notice he goes on through, and he says, and by the way, I believe in tithing. Okay. Uh, I believe God wants us to tithe, and this is, a, this is an obligation for us today. It is still, uh, is still for us today, and new, as New Testament Christians, tithing is still, uh, still for us today. But, but God's not going to kill you because you don't tithe. Get, God kept, it says, Ananias and Sapphira sold the possession, kept back part of the price of his wife. His wife also being privy to it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And keep back part of the price of that, of that property. Now they come out, and they're you know that this is this is no doubt motivated by Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas had, uh, in fact, his name wasn't even Barnabas at the time. They did his name was Joseph, one of the one of the early church members named Joseph, who later becomes Barnabas. He he sells some property. He gives the money to the early church to help as they're getting started with this, this the brand new church here, and they're helping. He helps them with these finances. And people are just thrilled about it and say, look what Barnabas did and yada, yada, yada. In fact, they named him Barnabas because of that means son of consolation. And uh, they gave him a new name and uh, they said, this guy's amazing. He's just constantly helping. And, uh, and so he gives them, you know, the, the, the Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, I want that kind of bragging on me too. I want to look good too. And so they sell this property and they bring back, they bring part of the money and they say, hey, yeah, this is, this is what we got for the property and uh, gave it to the church publicly. And Peter said, Ananias, why are you lying about this? You didn't, have to lie. you didn't have to give any of the money. But don't stand up and lie to the Holy Ghost about, about anything. Now, who did he lie to? He lied to the Holy Ghost. Notice back again in verse, in verse 3. 
Satan hath filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? You didn't have to sell it, Ananias. After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You could do what you want with the money. You didn't have to bring that money. What? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Now watch this. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. That's as clear as you can get. When you lied to the Holy Ghost, Ananias, you lied to God. Um, it's as clear as it can be. We, can know, we also know the Holy Spirit is God because he, has, he possesses the attributes of God. Some of the attributes of God, the, all the attributes of God are possessed by the Holy Spirit. He is said in Psalm 139 to be everywhere at, at one time. Where, where can I go from thy spirit? David said. Can I go to the, the heavens? He's there. Go into the depths of the earth? He's there. Wherever I go. There's nowhere I can go where the Holy Spirit is not. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He is divine. He is a divine person. A Holy Spirit can be grieved. So not only is he just a divine spirit, he's a divine person. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. He helps us to pray. We know not how as we, to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit helps us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans 8. He makes decisions according to His will. He is co-equal to the Father and the Son. Now we oftentimes speak of Jesus living in your heart. Uh, Jesus lives within me. Well, and, and that's okay. That, that, that's true. Jesus lives within me. But in reality, I mean, it would be te- technically, it's not Jesus that lives in my, inside me. It's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. He is the promised comforter who will be with you forever. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I will send another comforter. You remember that? He says to the disciples, I'm going to send a comforter, and he will come, and he will be with you forever. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? The temple is the, the, the tent. The place he possesses, he, 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 he dwells. The Holy Spirit lives inside your body, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, your spirit, which are God. So, number one, who is the Holy Ghost? Holy Spirit. He's God. He is the third person of the Trinity. Number two, what happened here at, Pen- at Pentecost? And the Feast of Pentecost was for the purpose of the Jews would come together and they would thank God for the harvest of the fields. They would acknowledge His provision. It took place 50 days after, after uh, Passover. So Passover was when Jesus was crucified. And then 50 days later is the Feast of Pentecost where they would come and they would, uh, they would celebrate the harvest. They would praise God for, for what He had given to them in the harvest. He would thank them. They would bring offerings to Him to, uh, to, uh, to celebrate the harvest. Now it was at that time at Pentecost that God sent the Holy Spirit to empower His church. I believe the Holy Spirit already lived in them because Jesus said he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, some people might say, and your pastor might teach it differently. If he does, then, then he's right and I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think, it, I don't think it's, a, it's, it's, it's something worth fighting about. Uh, it's not a doctrinal uh, you know, a heresy that, uh, that if you got this one wrong, that, that you know, we break fellowship over. But some people believe that the Holy Spirit had not yet, uh, had not yet um, indwelt them until Pentecost, and so you'll see here some preachers say the Holy Spirit came to indwell the church. I think He was already inside them when Jesus said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, and, and breathed on them, at least some of them he had the Holy Spirit already. But I think the, that Pentecost is when the church is empowered. So the church already exists. Now, again, if your pastor thinks the church began at, at Pentecost, that's fine. Uh, you know, again, it's not one of those things that, that's worth fighting about but, uh, or dividing over. But I think that Jesus started the church. I imagine your pastor probably leads that direction as well. That, uh, that Jesus started the church and during his own personal ministry along the shores of Galilee. And so the church already existed. But the church needed the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he told them to wait until that power came. So Acts chapter 2 now describes the coming of the Holy Spirit in terms of great power to empower the church for the ministry. Verse 2 talks about a rushing mighty wind talks about a wind that, entire, that fills the entire room. It talks about tongues of fire that appeared above their heads. The entire reason for Jesus promising the Holy Spirit power was in order that the church would be a witness to Him. You should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But He said, first, go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power from on high. Now, once that power came, now they were to get out and get the gospel to everywhere, everywhere they could. <clears throat> you shall be, again, back in those verses we first read, Acts 1-4, you shall be witnesses unto me. 
and then go to Jerusalem and wait. Acts 1.8, you should be witnessing to me both, both in Jerusalem and Judea Samaria, but after you're endued with power from the Holy Spirit. So they wait, they're praying, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit empowers the church, and then they go out to preach the gospel. And on that one service, that first service, 3,000 men were saved and baptized on that one day. The church went from 120 members in Acts 1 to 3,120 members in Acts chapter 2. I mean, it's incredible growth here. We're talking about they've gone from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And by the way, from that time forward, the church was never the same. The rest of the book of Acts, you're tracing the history of the church, of the early church, as they're empowered, and then they go out and they preach. That they have that first sermon uh, that the apostles preach. 3,000 people get saved, baptized that same day. And then the rest of the book of Acts is showing what happened as the church went from place to place and as they begin to reach people with the gospel. No longer were they afraid. They were, they'd never been, they'll never be the same again. They've never been since then. Over 2,000 years now. It's not been the same as it was prior to what happened in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. It changes their entire life. They're not afraid. They're not timid men hiding in a room with the door locked where Jesus has to come and appear to them and say, fear not, be not afraid. No, they're not afraid anymore. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They are bold witnesses for Christ. They're flaming evangelists. They are, they're on fire with the power of God after what happens in Acts chapter 2. Now in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, we go to that, that chapter in that verse and we see 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the church. Acts 2.41 <clears throat> then they that were gladly re- received his word. And by the way, here's the, here's the, here's the prescription for, for baptism. They, number one, you gladly receive his word. We take that to mean they were saved. Number two, they were baptized. The first thing you should do after you're saved is get baptized. You say, well, I got baptized when I was a baby. It didn't count. doesn't matter. That wasn't baptism. The first act of obedience. So if you're saved now, You've trusted Christ, you're saved. You haven't yet been, been baptized. This Sunday when pastor gets back, say, hey, preacher, I need to talk to you about baptism. I've, I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized yet after I was saved. And so scripturally baptized, they, 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 first of all, they received his word. They trusted Christ, their savior. They were baptized. Notice this, the same day, there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So you're saved, you're baptized, and you're added to the church. We you join the local church, you can't, you, you'll never outgrow the local church. The local church is God's plan for this age. And all of us need to be a part of a church. And thank God you are a part of a good Bible-believing church. So 3,000 people are saved that day. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now go over to Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, the number of the men was about 5,000. I misspoke a little while ago when I said 3,000 men were saved and baptized on, on Pentecost. No, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. This time in Acts chapter 4, it's 5,000 just of the men. I mean, now they've gone from, 3, from 120 to 3,120 to 8,120 people in this early church in Jerusalem. Now, if you would, please go over to, uh, <coughs> go over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I'm, I'm saying, telling you, nothing's the same again. Once the Holy Spirit, once they were filled with the Holy Ghost... Nothing was ever the same. This, the, the church is totally transformed. And it's going to spread all through the book of Acts. And you read through that and you see, see what happened. Acts chapter 5 now and verse 14. So the last number we had was 8,000 people. But now we go to Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. And here's what we find. We find they stopped counting. There's just too many of them. Acts chapter 5 verse 14. Believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes. I mean, first it was 120. Then it was 3,000. There was 5,000. And now they just say multitudes of people. We, we don't know how many people are coming. We are, people are being saved. I mean, it's just amazing what God's doing. As a result of the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were living their lives, not their, in their power, but in God's power. In fact, I mentioned to you that the book of Acts shows the spread of the church. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 1 through, two, through 7, they all stayed in Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 8, persecution comes and they leave Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 4, that they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So now all of a sudden we're going from one church to multiple churches. They're, they're going everywhere preaching the word, baptizing converts, organizing churches. When you get to Acts chapter seven, 17, I'm sorry, 
<clears throat> it records how they've gone all the way up to a city called Thessalonica. I mean, they're, 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 they're everywhere now. They're spreading everywhere. They get to Thessalonica, and here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. The enemies of the church, <clears throat> when they see Paul and, his, and his, his, his group coming to preach in Thessalonica, here's what they said. Those that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I mean, these, they, they've heard about them. They know they're coming. The, the word is out that these Christians are going everywhere and making converts and people are being saved, being baptized, churches are being formed. It's just incredible. And they said they, they, they've turned the world upside down and they've come to our city as well. They were scared of them. They were afraid because these Christians were coming. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. Um, what happened on, on Pentecost? He empowered the church to evangelize the world. And then very simply, very quickly, what does it mean for us today? Great story. I mean, it's the Bible story. It's cool. It's wonderful. It's exciting to see what God did. But how does that apply to us today? Well, there are a lot of practical applications. But I'm just going to give you one. I'm just give you one. I'm not going to keep you late. Number one, just one thing. One application I want to make. Um, and that is this. I believe that the power that transformed the early church is still available for us today. Holy Spirit hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. God said, I never change. His power is still the same today. You say, well, people are different today. Oh, <laughs> you, you haven't really stopped to think about those people in the book of Acts, have you? These people were demon-possessed. Demon These people were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. They were, uh, I mean, they were, they were as, 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 um, as dedicated to those idols as any Muslim would be today to his false god or as any Catholic might be to their, their false, false religion or as any uh, Buddhist or Hindu might be to their gods. These people, were, these people were dedicated to their gods. And all of a sudden, the Christians show up and they begin to tell them about the one true God. And there is something in their life and in their witness, their testimony, and their, the power that's with them, going with that, that's the power of the gospel. That's totally changing lives. Um, that same power is still available for us. The Holy Spirit has not changed. He is still God. He's still powerful. He still lives within His believers and within His Christians, uh, His people. And He is still able to bless us today. Now we look at the early church and we look around at what's happening in our churches today and we cannot help but wonder, what, what's, what's missing? What's, what's wrong? Why are we not seeing that today like we saw it in those days. I understand that, that, there, that there might be situations where, uh, like I said this morning, we, we need to not just see that there, there's things going on behind the scenes that we can't see. We need to have our eyes open to the fact of, of, of the reality is spiritual and is invisible. But I just, I'm just not convinced that somehow today people cannot be saved and God cannot work because it's, it's 2023 or because Americans are hard-hearted or because we've had the gospel for so long. I'm just not, I understand that, that, that people are, it's difficult in these days, but I'm just saying to you, it's always been difficult. It's always been hard. It's always, there people have always had reasons not to believe. Why are we not seeing the Holy Spirit work today like he did in the book of Acts? And I would just simply say, I think perhaps it's because we're working in our power instead of his power. Because we cannot say with the Apostle Paul, I'm crucified with Christ, yet not I. I the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not me, but Christ living in me. We need to go not, on, not in our little power, but we need to serve in his big power. I think maybe the key to God's power for life is found in a little phrase in Acts chapter 2. Go back to Acts chapter 2, if you would, please, and look again at verse 4. We've read it several times. Acts 2, 4 says, They were filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. We have traded Holy Spirit power for man-made programs. We work in the energy of our own power instead of the energy of the Holy Spirit. We live in fear rather than in God's power. Um, we, 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 we're so consumed about programs and, and some, way, some method that we can find to be able to, to trick people into coming to church and, and, and get them to stay. And I, I, Look, I'm not against programs. I think the church needs to be organized. And yours is well organized, and thank God for it. It needs to be. That's totally scriptural. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. The church is to be, is to be organized. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, church is to be organized. All of us are to be finding our place and our spiritual gifts and, 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 and working in, together as a, as a team in the church. All of that's, all of that's fine. But we need, to be, we need to understand that it's not our power, it's God's power. We need to be coming to Christ and saying, God, use me, work through me, help me to die to self. I don't want my plan, my power, I want your power. Now, I didn't get saved when I was 20 years old. I, um, I got saved at the age of 20. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old in, in Northern California. Dropped out of high school at 16. Uh, just walked the streets, nowhere to go, nothing to do. One day I'm walking down the street when I was 17 years old, and there was a guy standing there in a uniform. As I walked by, he said to me, good morning. I said, good morning, kept walking. And I'm walking away, and he said, hey, son, he said, you want to come inside and talk? I said, no. He said, we got donuts. Whoa. I said, you got donuts? He said, yeah, come in and have a donut. He was an Army recruiter. I went inside, had a donut. Next thing I know, I had a second donut, third donut, fourth donut. And pretty soon I was signing on the dotted line. I was joining the United States Army. Uh, I went into the Army at the age of 18. I, I turned 18. I was, I was 17 years old when I went in the Army. And high school dropout. I don't think they do that anymore these days, right? I think they, they, they wised up. They had enough guys like me that said, you know, that's probably not the best thing for us to do. And, uh, but, but I went in the Army at 17. And I turned 18 on March 24th. And on May 20th, I arrived in Vietnam for my first tour in Vietnam with the 75th Rangers. I had been 18 years old for, for, for less than two months. And they gave me an M16, put me on a, put me on a, a alert team, Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol with five other guys, six of us, drop us off out in the jungle, say, you know, don't get killed. Go find out who's out there. And, uh, and make, sure you, make sure you do your best to come back alive, you know. And so I did that for a year. And then how, here's how nuts I was. I signed up to do it again. I went back for a second tour. But while I, they gave you a 30-day uh, R&R when you, when, you, when you would sign up between, between, uh, between tours. So I came back home, and my parents had been saved. And my brothers and sister had been saved. I mean, the whole family got saved while I was in Vietnam. And I came back and said, what happened here? They're crazy. They're nuts. They said, they said son, come to church with us. I said, Sure. Everybody needs a little religion. A little religion never hurt anybody. And uh, I, told my, I told my dad, I said, you know, I'm Buddhist myself, but, but uh, I'll go with you. I decided I was Buddhist while I was in Vietnam. I talked to some Vietnamese people, and they said, oh, Buddhism is the right thing. It's the light, you know, it's the, it's the right direction. Hey, that sounds cool. Give me some beads. Got some beads and, and started telling people I was Buddhist. I'm not Buddhist. I was nothing. I was just a dingbat, 18-year-old kid. Had no business even being there. And, uh, and definitely shouldn't have had a gun. <clears throat> but I'm 18 years old. <clears throat> I've decided I'm Buddhist. I come back home. I go into to a little landmark missionary Baptist church in Watsonville, California. And Jack Wilkins got up and he preached. He preached the Bible. He preached the truth. You know what he said? He said, if you die without Jesus Christ, you'll die and go to hell. I said, whoa. Man, this guy's, this guy's different. But he preached the truth. I went back to Vietnam. Didn't get saved. Went back to Vietnam. But the second time I was in Vietnam was different. This time I knew if I die, I'm going to hell. Man, I'm going to hell. The second tour is only six months. First tour is a year. Second tour is... Now, first, tour is a, first tour in Vietnam was a year if you're in the Army. If you were in the Marines, it was 13 months. Why? The Marines think they're tough. Just, you know. You, you guys going to go 12, we'll go 13. You know, just, I don't know. Any Marines here? And by the way, did you know the, the who, who, where? Uh, the, the, and there's no, and you're still a Marine, right? 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Even though you've been out for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I had some, I, I pastored in Southern California last, and uh, we're very close to the Marine bases, had a bunch of Marines get saved and get into our church, and oh, I love those guys. Love them, love them, love them. But, uh, but they were, you know, a little bit. <laughs> they all thought they were tough. And, uh, and I remember saying, saying to some of them, I'd say, now Kevin here, he's a former Marine. Oh, pastor, no such thing as a former Marine. What's a Marine, always a Marine. I said, Kevin, you get, you get a, when's the last time you got a paycheck from the Marine Corps? <laughs> when's the last time you showed up for duty? Anyway, you're a Marine, I understand. No such thing as a former Marine, but in the Army we have former, former Army people. <laughs> I went back to Vietnam that second time, and brother, I knew, I, 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 I said, man, i got to get saved. But I didn't know you could get saved anywhere. I mean, I thought you had to go back to the church and get saved. I came home after that second tour, walked down that aisle at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, knelt at the altar, asked God to save me, and he did. My, my army friends and my buddies around town, they said, oh, you know what, you'll be back. He'll be back in six months. Hey, did you hear that Dwight got saved? Or uh, Dwight got religion, they said. Well, Dwight didn't get religion. Dwight got saved, got Jesus. There's a big difference. They're not the same. Here's what my friends said. They said, hey, Dwight, Dwight got religion? Yeah, he went down to that little Baptist church, and, and he got religion. They said, he'll be back in six months. Six months! He'll be drinking again. He'll be taking drugs again. He'll be partying again. Six months, he'll be back. Well, I am a high school dropout. Math is not the best, my best subject. But let's see, I was 20 years old when I got saved. I'm 72 now. That's 52 years. Let's see, six months. That's like, 100, that's like 104 times or something, right? It's over 100 times. Six months has come and gone. They said, you'll be back in six months. You know what my friends say now in Watsonville, California? They say, uh, Dwight's not coming back, is he? <laughs> no, no, he's not. <laughs> I'm never going back. I'm never going back. But by the grace of God, I want to let God live through me. Amen. This life which I'm living for the Christian life, I don't want it to be in my power. Um, God's been good to us incredibly good to us. We went off to Bible college. I met my wife in Sacramento. We, we, we got married. She was 19. I was, uh, I was 21. We got married, went off to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Got uh, graduated from there. Came back. I had no offers. Surprising. Surprising. I would have thought maybe some of the larger churches in America would have said, hey, you, would you like to be our pastor? Or, Nobody. Nobody. I was 24 years old. She was 22. We had a little nine-month-old baby. I had never been a deacon. I had never been a staff member. I mean, I was just this punk kid that got saved four years ago and went off to Bible college, and I knew God had called me to preach. And so I got back out to California. Nobody's knocking on my door. Nobody's saying, hey, uh, why don't you come and work on our staff? But one guy did. One guy, one, 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 John Wilkins, said, why don't, Dwight, why don't you come and, and work? So you get a job at 7-Eleven or something, and, and, uh, and then maybe Gail can get a job too, and you guys can work a couple of jobs, and we don't have any money, but you could be our, you could be our youth director. And uh, just, just work, pay your own, own way, and be our youth director. And I said, I, I thought about it, prayed about it. I said, honey, you know, if we're going to have to go get our job, go get jobs and pay our own way anyway, why don't we just go start our own church? We moved out to the San Francisco area. We'd never been there before. We'd been through the Bay Area, but we'd never been to this city, Redwood City. And we moved to Redwood City, and <clears throat> we started knocking on doors. We didn't have a prospect. We didn't have a suspect. We didn't have anybody. Nothing. Nothing. Not one name, even, where somebody wrote a name down and said, hey, would you go see my cousin? You know, he's backslidden. Nothing. We moved to that city. At that time, they had 58,000 people in the city. We moved to that city. I got a job driving a school bus. Couldn't make enough money driving the school bus, so I got a job uh, delivering newspapers for San Francisco Chronicle at night and worked those two jobs. We had a little nine-month-old baby, and we started the church, rented a building, started knocking on doors, leading people to Christ, bringing them to church, and God blessed. But I'm going to tell you something. 
I knew I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Not a clue. Now think about this. Never a staff member. Not mentored by anybody. Didn't have a, didn't have, didn't have a pastor coming alongside saying, you know, son, here's what you want to do, and yada, 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 yada. I mean, I just, just went out there and did it. But I knew I didn't know what I was doing. So every morning, before I would go drive the school bus, I'd get up early in the morning. We had a, uh, we had a, uh, remember those green plastic furniture stuff they used to have back in the 70s? Some of you older people. I remember those. We had this old green plastic couch. I would get up in the morning. Gail and the baby still in sleep, usually. And I would get up and I would get on my knees. And I would get my Bible. And I would put it down on that green couch. Kneel over that couch. And I would pray and I would read my Bible. Say, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. God, we're going to starve to death out here if you don't do something. I don't know how to build a church. I don't know how to preach. I've been doing it for 50 years and I still don't know how. But I really didn't know how then. I mean, I, 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 what I, I'd preached in junior church, in the children's church. That's it. I'd never preached to adults. I'd never, been a te- I'd never, never worked with the teenagers, nothing. And here we are in this city where we know nobody. We're barely keeping food on the table. And I am, I am on my face in this Bible saying, God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Ten years later, when we left that church, that church was averaging just over 500 in attendance. And on January, I'm sorry, June 2024, I'm going back to preach their 50th anniversary. They have beautiful facilities. How'd that happen? I'm telling you, just God. <laughs> just God. It's not us. It's not our power. At the age of 65, I resigned the church that I'd been at for the last 25 years at Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. $20 million worth of property. 600 in attendance every week. Wonderful people. Godly people. Made more money than I've ever made in my life by that time. And I resigned the church, and I said, babe, I really believe God wants us to move to China and start this missions ministry. How are we going to finance it? Uh, I'm not sure. But I really believe this is what God wants us to do. And God, where God leads you, God will provide for you. And if we do it in his power and his strength, God will bless. That was seven years ago. We now have over 110 national pastors that we support in 20 different countries through Barnabas 1040, our ministry. <clears throat> so, of course, uh, it's, a, it's our ministry. It's a ministry of Liberty Baptist Church. Our pastor, new pastor was kind enough and gracious enough to allow us to continue to, that out of, our, out of our home church as our sponsoring church. 110 different national pastors in 20 different countries. And these guys are in, are in areas that that honestly, some of them are very, very dangerous areas. How do they do that? They do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in their own power. Let me tell you about some of them. These guys, by the way, they're not, doing, they're not, they're not, they're not planning those churches for money. We send them anywhere from $100 to $400 a month. They're not getting rich. A few hundred dollars a month. And these men and women in India, in Burma, in Indonesia, uh, 20 different countries, they go out and they start churches, plant churches in hostile areas. How do they do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus loves them and they love Jesus and they are yielded to him and they believe that he's going to take care of them. And he does. Let me tell you about a few of them. I was just in Vietnam a few months ago, <clears throat> Thailand, Vietnam, Japan, a few months ago, and I got back. And I want to tell you about a man that I met that we, that we support there. I'd never even met him. We support him already through missionaries because we're working through them that, tell, that, can, that contacts that I have that can tell me. We have 32 different missionaries we work with now 
we first moved to China, we had none. But we got over there so we could, we, we weren't missionaries to China. We were host, we were, we were living in China. So we'd go out from there and uh, meet, meet other guys that we could help to finance their ministries. And so we met missionaries in these different countries. And I would say to them, hey, who do you have, independent Baptist missionaries, who do you have that could go out as ready? You've, you've led them to Christ, they're trained, and they're ready to go out and plant a church. And, can, and how can I help you financially to provide the money to get this guy out of, your, out of the nest and get him out where he needs to go? So you don't have to go home and raise money for him. He doesn't, God forbid, he doesn't have to come to the States to try to run money, raise money. I think that's one of the first, worst things we can do is send national missionaries back to the States to raise money because half of them don't want to ever go back to where they're home. Or if they do go back, they're going to raise so much money that, that the other people are, are jealous of them and, and, uh, and are upset with them. That's one reason why we, we give them enough money to live on the same level as their people. But we try to make sure that we're not financing these national pastors to where they are living on the American standard, and then all the and then the, and then the other preachers around are looking at them saying, "What's what's with this?" I mean, I'm I'm living I'm living poorly like my people like our people, and this guy's living like he's a foreigner. So anyway, one of the guys I met was Pastor Bick. Pastor Bick has been in Vietnam preaching and baptizing, and he's been in and out of jail uh, here in Vietnam in Vietnam. Time and time again. And Pastor Bick, let me tell you about, there's, there's two Pastor Bicks. One's the father, one's the son. And uh, both of them are just outstanding. Excellent guys. Great guys. Love them. And uh, <clears throat> Pastor Bick Sr. was in and out of jail many times. After the communists took over, he was already saved. When the communists took over in Vietnam, he was already pastoring. And, uh, but he was in the city of Da Nang. So he left Da Nang and a lot of persecution was coming. He left Da Nang and he went up into the mountains. Tried to get up into the mountains and the villages where, where he could kind of be a little bit not in, in, not in, in, in the prime, uh, not in the light, light, light all of a sudden. What's the word I'm looking for? Limelight. Limelight. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I could describe America in one word. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so... so so he goes up there and he gets arrested for, for preaching, for winning people to Christ and baptizing them. They put Pastor Bick in jail, Pastor Bick Sr. And, and, he, uh, and he, well, here's what he does in jail. He leads people to Christ and he baptizes them. After a while, they let him out of jail. He gets back out. He goes, you know what he does? He leads people to Christ and he baptizes them. He goes, this goes back and forth several times. And then finally, the police to him, and this little, these, these little villages, the police, the, the, these regional police, they said, look, uh, w- what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Why, wh- don't, why, why are you doing this? Why can't you, why don't you stop? And he said, look, guys, he said, you, you don't understand. I'm not trying to be a rebel. I'm not trying to break the law. I'm not your enemy. I'm not against you. I'm not against our country. I'm not trying to be... To be to break the law. He said, here's the problem. That's who I am. I, I, I lead people to Christ and I baptize them. That's who I am. That's who God has called me. That's what's God, what what's God made me. He's called me to do. That's what I do. That's who I am. He said, so look, here, here, here's, the, here's, here's the situation. If you leave me alone and let me stay out, stay here, that's what I'm going to do. If you put me in jail, I'm going to do it there. And, and I'd rather do it out here, but it but, but doesn't matter where I am. That's what I'm going to do. That's who I am. That's what I do. And they, they finally just said, well, just don't do it so publicly. Let him alone. Now, there are a lot of others that they're not leaving him alone. Several people in Myanmar and Burma have been killed after, the, uh, after my wife and I were in we're, uh, we celebrate our 40th anniversary in, in Myanmar, in fact, <clears throat> teaching and preaching in some of those churches. After the coup, the military coup that took place a couple of years ago, a lot, of, a lot of Christians have been killed, several pastors. Some of the pastors we support, we don't even know where they are anymore. They, they're, they're on the run. They're in their congregation, of, of some, of the, the, some of them over towards uh, India, uh, getting across the border into India where they can get away from some of the persecution, a lot, of, a lot of refugees in India now that we're helping as well uh, along that border. Pastor Sithwan in Laos. Pastor Sithwan is one of the men that we support. 
he was arrested, and uh, his crime was that he was, well, he was actually never even charged. He was arrested last year or about a year and a half ago now. He was arrested, and he was put in jail. We think the reason he was arrested was because he had a big public baptism out in a, out in a, in a creek or a, or a river, and he baptized about 18, 20 people in, in this one baptism. Now, <clears throat> he was arrested. He was kept for 13 months, never, never charged. And his wife and others were there who live in Laos were trying to, trying to get help for him. And uh, we continued to support his wife and his family, make sure they had food through our ministry. Um, after 13 months, they let him go. Let him out. Never charged him. But they're watching him very, very carefully. Um, pastor Cheng, Wang Ching, is actually, Pastor, actually Wang Ching is not even a pastor. He's a church member in China, in Shanghai, Shanghai province. And just a few weeks ago, uh, Brother Ching was arrested and was put in jail. And here's what his charge is. He was tithing. He was tithing to his local church. Now in China, they, uh, they, they've already gone to where our country wants us to go to, and that is uh, where, where there's no cash. You do everything, with, you do everything online, and so you can, tra- you can track it all. In China, we use WeChat. WeChat we, WeChat's amazing. We re- it really is. WeChat, we, use te- we make our telephone calls with WeChat. We, uh, we, we text with WeChat. We go to the market. <clears throat> we just, they just zap that thing and take the money out of your bank account. And so as a result of that, they know everywhere the money is, everywhere you're spending money. And so this, this, pre- th- th- this brother in, in China, a few weeks ago, was arrested He's in jail and what the, in Shangxi province. And what they're saying is that, that they're trying to frame, frame him as some kind of money laundering or something because he's putting this money into a, into a church. His wife is trying to get him out of jail. Uh, she may have been able to get him out of jail. They may, I, I, this has been about three weeks ago that I'm, that I'm talking to you about. It's very difficult to get news out of China. Uh, it's hard to get news out of China. But he may still be in jail or not. Pastor C., about uh, a month ago, was murdered by a Buddhist in Lao, communist Lao, and he was murdered by some some Buddhists in his village. They they beat him to death, left his left his body in a in a ditch. I contacted his wife, went through through people there, and said, "Can our ministry help you?" They have his seven children, wife and seven kids. Now he's dead. One of the guys that we support, we didn't support him much. We support him a couple hundred dollars a month. But he had some others that helped him as well, enough, enough to just get by for them. So I contacted his wife. I said, hey, uh, I, I contacted people in Laos and said, ask his wife how I can help her. What can we do? And they came back to me and said, she, she said, thank you, but uh, they're watching me extremely close. Don't send any money to me. Don't, don't send anything to us now. Because the government knows everything. They watch, they're watching everything. How do these people do this? Um, and I'm just, I'm just telling you about three or four of them. Like we, could, we could just go on and on with story after story. How do these people do this? You see, they're not, they're not living in their own strength. They're not living in their own power. They're able to say with the Apostle Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. His power in me. We may need it even more than those people do to be filled with the power of God because in reality, we think that we're already there. We think we're fine like we are. Those people know they need God's Holy Spirit. They, they, they know they need God. They know that to live in those countries. The problem is we don't really understand that we need God, do we? I mean, I pastored for 25 years in Newport Beach, one of the wealthiest places in the world. You know what I found the attitude there so often was? Uh, Hey, if I need God, I'll buy him. But what do I need God for? One lady told one of our young men, door knocking one day, knocked on the door. She came to the door. She said, I'm from Liberty Baptist Church right down the street here. I want to give you an invitation. She said, yeah, I know where your church is. And she said, uh, she said, she said, young man, come with me. 
And so, he's, she, so she comes out the door, and she said, come with me. She walked him around to the side of the house, and, and they were, there they were in Babel Island. I'm sorry, not Babel Island. They were just above Babel Island. And they were, they were there in, in, in that area there, Balboa. And, and she, she said, no, I want you to look out there. You see, those, you see that ocean? You see those sailboats? You see that view? He said, yes, ma'am. And she said, son, young man, do you really think I need God? She went back in the house. He came and told me about it. I said, I said bro, she needs God more than anybody I know. <laughs> She desperately needs God. She just doesn't know that she does. We don't know that we need God. <clears throat> One story, we'll, we'll go. There's a man here in, in Washington. He goes to another independent Baptist church that's, uh, that's in this uh, Seattle area. Great guy, good friend of mine. Have, we've been friends for many, many years. He actually got saved in that first church that we started in Redwood City in the Bay Area. Oh, man, I'm going to say he probably got saved, I don't know, He's been saved for he's been saved for decades now. He got saved there in in, uh, in our church in, in Redwood City, and um, he um, he he good guy. Whole family got saved. He's still he's in he's in he's in church up in Woodenville now uh, here in, in this area, and um, he's deacon up there, I believe. But raises families. Got a couple of kids that are pastoring now out in the ministry. Just a wonderful man. Good friend. When he first got saved as a new Christian, he came to me one day whenever we were in Redwood City, and here's what he said. Now, it was, he was, he was, a, it was back in the old days, back in the dark ages, you, you couldn't, your telephones were not something you put in your pocket. It's hard to believe, okay? Just bear with me. You, you didn't put them in your pocket and walk around with them. You actually, they were in your house, and they had a wire, and the wire's plugged into the, into the wall, and then you, you couldn't even pick them, get walk. I, I know, I know you're, you're thinking, and I, I agree with you. How do we live? I don't know. We just made it somehow. We were, we're, most of us are, are still scarred today. <laughs> we're still in therapy today over this. And so, so they, uh, but they wouldn't allow you in the 70s to, 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 to uh, take care of your own phone. You had to call the phone company. And they had, a, they had a monopoly on this thing, and they, they would send somebody out to do your phone, to install your phone, to you, know, you moved into a house, that kind of thing. So this, this brother in our church, he, that's what he did. He would install telephones. So he would be in two or three houses every day. And he came to me one day, and he said, uh, one Sunday night after church, and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, can I talk to you? I said, sure. I said, let's slip into my office. We slipped into my office, sat down and talked, and he said, I said, what, what's, what's up? And he said, he said, preacher, he said, I, I'm, I'm really struggling with something. And I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, I, you know, I really want to be a witness for Christ. And he said, pastor, I am in two or three different homes every day. And he said, I've got opportunities every day to talk to people who have just moved to the area, to invite them to church, to tell them about Jesus. And he said, and he said, and I want to. And, I, and every day I say, I'm going to. Today I'm going to do it. And he said, and then, and then I, I just I get scared. I get in there, and I'm, I'm, I'll talk to him about everything about the Bay Area. You know, welcome to the Bay Area. Where are you guys from? Yada, yada, yada. You know, but he said, I just can't. I just can't. I can't do it. And he said, so here's what I would like. I'm asking you. He said, would you be willing to, to take me as your soul winning partner? I know we go soul winning Thursdays and Saturdays. He said, would you, could I go out with you and be, be your partner? You teach me a method. Because if you teach me a method... And I knew, okay, well, I'm going to start with this verse and then go to this verse. Go to this verse. Here's my method, my plan. If I had a plan, I think I could do it. I could get up the courage to talk to him. And I said, brother, I will. I will. I said, I'll tell you, start this coming Thursday or Saturday, whenever you can come. And uh, you and I will be soul winning partners from here on out. Okay? We're going to go out together. And I said, I will teach you the plan I use, four spiritual steps and four laws, you know, and uh, four things you need. And I'll, I'll teach you everything. I'll, te- I'll show you how I do it. And I said, I'll do it. But I've got to tell you something. It's not going to change anything. That's not your problem. The problem is not that you don't have a plan. Having a plan is good. So you know what you're going to say before you say it. And you're not going to get tongue-tied. That's good. But it's not the solution. And I said, open your Bible to Acts chapter 4. 
we opened our Bibles, and I read Acts, and I said, I want you to read this verse out loud. Read Acts 4.31, and he read it. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I said, my friend, <laughs> boldness doesn't come from having a plan. It comes from they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I said, brother, what you need is let's get on our knees, let's pray. I'll pray first, and then you pray. And ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you boldness. And we did. That was Sunday night, Wednesday night. He came walking in the door, big old grin on his face. I've never seen him so happy in my life. He walks in the door, and he comes up and says, Preacher, i got to tell you, I led three people to Christ already since last Sunday. My first three people ever led to Christ. What do we need? We need God's power and God's spirit. And we need to live in his power, not ours, by the grace of God. Let's stand together, if we could, please, for prayer. Our Father, <clears throat> we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity we've had to be able to look into the word of God today. God, I pray you'd take these simple truths. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill us. We know you indwell us. We have... We have all of you that we're ever going to have, but Lord, we still need to be filled. We need for you to have more of us. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, starting with me and then going on to with, with everybody in this room today, Father, I pray that we would be willing to yield ourselves to thee. And Lord, may you give us your power. May we live our lives from this time forward by the grace of God, not in my power, our power, but in your power. And Lord, I pray that you just change, change me, Father. Change these dear people. Bless their pastor, Lord. Give him, give him safety as he comes home. And God, just use this church for your honor and glory. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the pianist to play just a little bit of invitation tonight. And 